Hello everybody, um, just wanted to take a few minutes here in the intro before the intro, a cold open if you will, and take a few moments to say a few things about our fallen co-host, Tom the Nightmare. This will be our second full-length episode of Season 2, being recorded since his passing over New Year's Eve weekend. Um, one thing a lot of you guys don't know, matter of fact, I don't think any of you know except for maybe the Bearded Breed, is that all of the equipment that I use to record this show is all stuff that he bought for me to use for the show. So the microphone, um, all the rigging for it, all the plugins, everything that I use to record the show, he purchased. So in a way, it's kind of a cool unique way to pay tribute to him um, even though I record the show solo now he's still very much a part of it um, you know every time I use this microphone and this equipment he's here with me so I just wanted to share that with you guys really quick before we launch into the main episode and I appreciate all of you guys listening thank you Attention listeners, this podcast contains graphic content, explicit language, frightening stories, and other adult content not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. This podcast may also contain triggers for suicide, depression, and other types of mental illness. Listener discretion is advised. Monster's Lair, 
Here inside the lair, we will dive into the depths of all things dark, disturbing, horrific, historical, anomalous, ancient, scientific, sensational, interesting, entertaining, malevolent, metal, criminal, conspiratorial, and occasionally fun and funny. Enter if you dare. Survive if you can. This is The Monster's Lair. On this episode of The Monster's Lair, we are discussing the Nain Rouge, the Demon of the Strait, the Demon of Detroit, the Red Dwarf, the Red Legend, a folktale figure from Detroit, Michigan that still resonates with the local population there and many others around the world to this day. So, what is the Nain Rouge? Is it a demon, as one of its nicknames, the Demon of the Strait, indicates? Is it a red dwarf reminiscent of fae folk from European and Celtic lore? Does the legend of the Nain Rouge origins lie in local Native American and Canadian First Nations belief of spirit creatures or offspring of the stone god that inhabited the region? Is it in the same vein as the Jo-Ga-O or translated to English, the Little People? Is it what the French call the Lutin? Lutin are gnomish-like entities that are very similar in nature to folklore from England and Germany relating to house spirits. Creatures such as gnomes, imps, goblins, pixies, and leprechauns. Is it a traveler from another dimension or place and time? Or is the name Rouge a conglomeration of the folklore of the two cultures that first resided in the area the native and the French's tales, retold and bastardized by European settlers and tied together into one entity? Most descriptions identify the name Rouge having red, polished skin, sharp, pointed teeth, and glowing or gleaming eyes, and others describe it as a small creature with red or black fur covering an animal's body, but with the face of an old man with red eyes and rotting teeth. No matter what description those who claim to have seen the name give, they all agree on one thing. The name Rouge is to presage misfortune for the city. Let's dive a little deeper into the legend of the name Rouge and go into the depths of the monster's lair. To tell the tale of the Nain, we must start with the origins of Detroit as a city and its founder. The territory of Michigan was an organized incorporated territory of the United States that existed from June 30, 1805 until January 26, 1837, when the final extent of the territory was admitted to the Union of the United States as the state of Michigan. Detroit was the territorial capital. The earliest European explorers of Michigan saw it mostly as a place to control the fur trade. Small military forces, Jesuit missions to Native American tribes, 
and isolated settlements of trappers and traders accounted for most of the inhabitants of what would become Michigan. After the arrival of Europeans, the area that became the Michigan Territory was first under French and then British control. Detroit was first occupied in 1701 by the garrison of the former Fort Dubad under the leadership of Antoine de la Mothe sur Cadillac. If the last name sounds familiar, both the city in Michigan and the automotive juggernaut are named after the founder of Detroit. The word Detroit, where we get Detroit, is French for straight, and the French called the city's river La Detroit du Lac Erie, meaning the Strait of Lake Erie. Cadillac was born Antoine Lamay on March 5, 1658, in the small town of Saint Nicholas de la Grave, in the province of Gascony. His youth included rigorous study at a Jesuit institution where he learned theology, the law, agriculture, botany, and zoology. He enlisted in the military as a cadet at the age of 17 in the Dampier Regiment in Charleroi, which is now modern-day Belgium. Two years later, in personal letters, he reported that he had been an officer in the Clarembault Regiment in Thionville and in 1682 he had joined the Albert Regiment in Theonville. At the age of 25, in 1683, Lamay arrived at Port Royal, the capital of Acadia. During the next four years, he explored his new country in all directions, extending his explorations to New England and New Holland, a naval colony founded by a Dutch naval captain in Maine, then pushing south to the Caroline, now Carolina, North Carolina, and South Carolina, respectively, and learning some Native American languages and habits. During his time, he entered into a business relationship with Denise Goyan, a merchant of Quebec. On June 25, 1687, he married Goyan's daughter, Marie-Therese, 17, in Quebec. The marriage certificate is the first document that records LeMay's new identity. He now identified as Antoine de la Mothe sur de Cadillac and signed as de la Mothe Lanay. Like many immigrants, he took advantage of immigrating to the New World to create a new identity, perhaps to conceal the reasons that drove him from France. The marriage proved to be a fertile one. The Lamothe Cadillac couple had six daughters and seven sons. On July 24, 1701, Antoine de Lamothe Cadillac founded Fort Pontchartrain in the parish of St. Anne on the strengths of Detroit. He was helped by Alphonse de Tonti. Their wives joined them in October. In 1702, Cadillac went back to Quebec to request the monopoly of all fur trading activities and the transfer to his authority of the Amerindian tribes in the area of the Straits. He became a shareholder in the company of the colony. After return to the Straits, he helped in welcoming and settling the native tribes formerly installed at Michamilinac 
a fire devastated Fort Pontchartrain in 1703. This disaster destroyed all of the registers and records. Cadillac was called to Quebec in 1704 to face charges of trafficking in alcohol and furs illegally. Although he was imprisoned as a preventative measure for a few months, his name was cleared in 1705. The king guaranteed him all his titles and granted him the fur trading monopoly he sought. Two years later, Cadillac was charged with multiple counts of abuse of authority. Pontchartrain appointed a representative, Desjardins, to investigate. He formulated an indictment against Cadillac in 1708. In 1709, the troops stationed on the Straits were given the order to return to Montreal. In 1710, the king named Cadillac governor of La Louisiane, the expansive Louisiana and the New France Territory, and ordered him to take up his duties immediately, traveling via the Mississippi River. A historical marker there now that reads, This tablet marks the site of the first lead mine, lead mine opened in the Mississippi Valley about the year 1700. The mine itself is named for Antoine de la Mothe Cadillac, governor of Louisiana, 1710 through 1717. Cadillac, when asked to return to France, did not obey. He drew up a general inventory of the straits and then in 1711 boarded a ship with his family bound for France. In Paris, in 1712, he convinced the Toulouse-born financier Antoine Crozat to invest in Louisiana. In June 1713, the Cadillac family arrived at Fort Louis, Louisiana, now modern Mobile, Alabama, after a trying crossing. In 1714, Crozat recommended the construction of forts along the Mississippi River whereas Cadillac wished to strengthen defenses at the mouth of the river and to develop trade with nearby Spanish colonies. This would complete his time in Michigan, begin his new adventures in Louisiana, and end our time in the monster's lair with him for now. The greatest account of the Nain Rouge is documented in author Marie-Caroline Watson Hamlin's 1883 Legends of Lay Detroit. The tale begins in 1701 at a party held by the governor of New France, who is documented as being Louis Hector de Callier. The party was held in honor of Cadillac, who had just been given permission to build the fort. Suddenly. An old fortune teller appears at the door. She is Mère Monique la Sorciere, described as a woman of unusual height, a dark complexion, restless, with glittering eyes, wearing strangely fashioned garments in harmony with her face. 
On her left shoulder sits a black cat that occasionally licks her ear. The more superstitious among the party may have thought this cat was the devil in another form giving her information. The significance of the cat on the left shoulder denotes evil, as practitioners of dark magic are said to walk on the left-hand path, with the right-hand path being the side of light. After telling several fortunes of guests, at last she comes to the skeptical Cadillac. She says, He will found a great city, which one day will have more inhabitants than New France now possesses. Many children will nestle around your fireside, she says. Both of these proclamations would be true eventually. Cadillac formed Detroit, which currently, as official numbers in 2018, has a population of 672,662 people. The largest population of New France was barely over 8,000. Her second prediction, as we already know from earlier in the section on the life of Cadillac, will be true also, as we talked about earlier, Cadillac will father 13 children. Intrigued by the strange woman's prophecy, Cadillac asks her to continue. But then, his fortune changes. The policy you intend pursuing and selling liquor to the savages, contrary to the advice of Jesuits, will cause you much trouble and be the cause of your ruin, she says. Cadillac was not fond of the Jesuits, a Catholic brotherhood that strongly opposed the sale of brandy to the native tribes, an immense source of revenue for him. The sorceress's augury continues. In years to come, your colony will be the scene of strife and bloodshed. The Indians will be treacherous. The hated English will struggle for its possession. Under a new flag, it will reach a height of prosperity you will never in your wildest dreams have pictured. The sorceress issues a final warning. Appease the Nain Rouge, she says. Beware of offending him. Should you be thus unfortunate, not a vestige of your inheritance will be given to your heirs. Your name will be scarcely known in the city you founded. A footnote reiterates that the name should be respected, describing it as the demon of the strait and the most malignant if offended but capable of being appeased by flattery. Six years pass. Cadillac's colony was prosperous, but all was not well, as it ebbed and flowed through the political and military changes of pre-American Michigan. One night, Cadillac and his wife go for a stroll, where he catches a fragment of a conversation between two passers-by complaining about conditions for the poor. One says his wife recently saw La Petite Homme Rouge, or in English, The Little Red Man. Suddenly, the name appears, very red in the face, with bright, glistening eyes, 
Instead of burning, it froze. Instead of possessing depth, it emitted a cold gleam like the reflection from a polished surface, bewildering and dazzling all who came within its focus. A grinning mouth displayed sharp, pointed, and rotten teeth completed this strange face. Ignoring the warning of the sorceress, Cadillac strikes the name with his cane in a display of hubris and conceitedness and yells, Get out of my way, you red imp. The creature vanishes. You have offended him, says a voice. Your impuosity will bring you and yours to ruin. You were told to coax him, to beware of annoying this demon, and in your ungovernable temper, you do just otherwise. Misfortune will soon be our portion. The rest, of course, is history. But the tradition still lingers among the old inhabitants that should misfortune ever threaten the bonny city of the Straits, Detroit, the Nain Rouge will again appear to give the signal of warning. Now, if this sounds like a fanciful and far-fetched fairy tale, hold that thought. For the Nain Rouge has been said to appear several times, long after the rise and fall of Cadillac and Detroit. We will cover these shortly. In the meantime, I can tell you, the Nain Rouge legend has become an enduring part of the folklore of the Detroit area. Detroit Beer Company, a brew pub in downtown Detroit, has as its signature brew a Detroit Dwarf Lager, named in honor of the Nain Rouge. In 2015, Woodbury Wine, a distributor and wholesaler of fine wines and Kindred Vines Imported Company, an importer of French and Italian wines, both based out of the metro Detroit area, introduced Nain Rouge Red, a French red wine blend named after the Nain Rouge Dwarf. Each spring, Detroit holds a costumed community parade called the March du Nain Rouge, in which the creature is traditionally chased out of the city, although the revival parade stays entirely within the Midtown Cass Corridor neighborhood. At the conclusion of the parade, an effigy of the Nain Rouge is destroyed, thus banishing the evil spirit from the city for another year. According to, to, to tradition, parade participants and spectators are encouraged to wear different costumes each year so that when the Nain Rouge next returns, he will not recognize the persons who ousted him from the city limits and thus will not be able to seek personal vengeance. The 2011 event featured a parade followed by the banishment and a party in Cass Park, drawing hundreds of guests. At the parade, organizations calling themselves the Friends of Nain Rouge and We Are Nain Rouge have lightheartedly protested the banishment parade, arguing that the Nain Rouge is not to blame for the city's ills, and that considering Detroit's population loss, no one should be banished from the city, particularly those who have been there the longest. This group often includes the presence and participation of Michigan-based famed paranormal investigator and film director John E. L. Tinney, 
both groups also work toward making the event a celebration of Detroit's folkloric ancient guardian. The Banishment Parade has traditionally also taken place from 2012 to 2019, but of course was canceled in 20 due to social distancing restrictions. Recent parades in the city have drawn an estimated 5,000 revelers each year. The 2014 parade included a short speech from Alexis Wiley, Mayor Micah Dugan's representative. What effect will not having an event have on the demon of Detroit and the city? Only time will tell. Remember earlier when I said Lenane Rouge has been said to appear several times long after the rise and fall of Cadillac and Detroit? Well, legend holds that Nain Rouge's appearances would be a portent of doom for terrible events for the city. The following is a list of times he has been said to appear. Obviously, we begin with Cadillac, who after striking the Nain, was shortly after charged with the abuse of power and reassigned to Louisiana, later returning to France where he was briefly imprisoned and eventually lost his entire fortune. The creature is also said to have appeared on July 30, 1763, before the Battle of Bloody Run, where 58 British soldiers were killed by Native Americans from Chief Pontiac's Ottawa tribe. Supposedly, the Nain Rouge danced among the corpses on the banks of the Detroit River after the battle, and the river ran red with blood for days later. Forty years later, in the spring of 1805, a red dwarf was seen walking the streets of Detroit by citizens, and on June 11th of that year, a great fire destroyed most of the town. According to the tale, all of the misfortunes of Governor and General William Hull leading to the surrender of Detroit in the War of 1812 are blamed on the Nain Rouge. General Hull is the only officer in American history to be sentenced to death for military incompetence. He claimed until his death to see the Nain grinning at him in 1813 during his surrender to the British. In 1872, reports in the Detroit Free Press talk of a creature that had blood-red eyes, long teeth, and rattling hooves that appeared to Jane Dacey, a Detroit resident who suddenly became bedridden after the sighting. After this, the name would remain dormant for some time until he was spotted by residents before the week-long 1967 12th Street Detroit riots. The riot was the bloodiest incident in the long, hot summer of 1967. Composed mainly of confrontations between black residents and the Detroit Police Department, it began in the early morning hours of Sunday, July 23, 1967, when a police raid of an unlicensed after-hours bar then known as a blind pig, on the city's near west side exploded into violence. The scale of the riot was the worst in the United States since the 1863 New York City draft riots during the American Civil War, 
and would not be surpassed until the 1992 Los Angeles riots, 25 years later. Two utility workers for the city claim to have seen the creature climbing a utility pole just before a devastating ice storm in 1976. The ice storm is still the worst widespread ice storm in Michigan's weather records. There were reports of three inches of ice accumulation in parts of lower Michigan where the storm hit the hardest. There have not been any more notable accounts of the Demon of the Strait since then, but what is the reason for this and when will he return? I do not know the answer for I do not possess the foresight of Le Madame Marie Monique La Sorciere, but what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt is this, listeners. Much like Antoine Lemoth Sur de Cadillac in the moment he struck Lenain Rouge, humans are the real monsters in this world. This is The Monsters Picks. Alright guys, well in the spirit of the mischievous red dwarf, Lenane Rouge, let's have some fun, shall we? For the album for the Monsters, the Monsters Picks in this episode, I'm keeping right on with the theme of Detroit by showcasing an album from one of its greatest musicians. The man known by the stage name of Alice Cooper was born Vincent Damon Fernier on February 4, 1948 in Detroit, Michigan. He would go on to be an originator of the shock rock genre. For those of you who may not be 100% familiar with the term shock rock, it is the combination of rock or metal music mixed with highly theatrical live performances emphasizing shock value. Performances may include violent or provocative behavior from the artists, the use of attention-grabbing imagery such as costumes, masks, or face paint, or special effects such as pyrotechnics or fake blood. Shock rock often includes elements of horror. His album, Constrictor, is his ninth solo studio album released on September 22, 1986. After a hiatus from the music industry, after the release of his ill-fated Dada, Cooper remained in seclusion for three years. He was burnt out and reeling from two consecutive failed experimental albums. He would spend his time making sporadic appearances, such as starring in Monster Dog, a horror film for which he wrote two songs. He also guest starred on the Twisted Sister track, Be Cruel to Your School. However, great artists like Vince cannot be held down for long. Constrictor would be his return to the shock rock spotlight. Constrictor was Alice Cooper's first album to feature Kane Roberts on guitar, Kip Winger on bass, who would later gain fame with his own band, Winger, and the only one to feature David Rosenberg on drums. The album quickly returned Cooper to the charts at number 59 after his previous two releases had failed to crack the top 200. The track listing includes number one, Teenage Frankenstein, one of my personal favorite Alice Cooper songs. Track two, Give It Up. Track three, Thrill My Gorilla. Track four, Life and Death of the Party. 
Track 5, Simple Disobedience. Track 6, The World Needs Guts. Track 7, Trick Bag. Track 8, Crawlin. Track 9, The Great American Success Story. And Track 10, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. The horror series Friday the 13th teamed up with Cooper during this time to produce the theme song for its latest film. The song He's Back parentheses the man behind the mask was written for friday the 13th part six jason lives and went on to become a number one hit in sweden also featured in the film were constrictors teenage frankenstein and hard rock summer which did not end up on the album the track of the great american success story was apparently intended as the theme song to the rodney dangerfield film back to school, but was not actually used. Constrictor would also lead Alice to one of the most successful tours of the late 1980s, the Nightmare Returns Tour. Three songs from the album Teenage Frankenstein, Give It Up, and The World Needs Guts were regular pre regularly performed on this tour. However, as with all Cooper live songs since Lace and Whiskey, these songs failed to remain in the set list during subsequent, subsequent tours. For the film in this edition of the Monsters Picks, I'm going with a former TML subject of the Cursed Film episode from Season 1, The Crow. A 1994 American dark superhero film directed by Alex Proyas and starring son of Bruce Lee, Brandon Lee, and sadly his final film appearance. The film is based on James O'Barr's comic book of the same name and tells the story of Eric Draven, a rock musician who is revived to avenge the rape and murder of his fiancée as well as his own death. The film also stars Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott, Bai Ling, Sophia Sheenis, and Michael Massey. On October 30th, Devil's Night in Detroit. Sergeant Albrecht is at the scene of a crime where Shelley Webster has been beaten and raped and her fiance Eric Draven lies dead on the street after having been stabbed, shot, and thrown out the window. The couple had planned on getting married the following day, Halloween. As he leaves for the hospital with Shelley, Albrecht meets a young girl, Sarah, who says that she is their friend and that they take care of her. Albrecht tells her that Shelley is dying. One year later, a crow taps on the gravestone of Eric Draven. Eric awakens and climbs out of his grave. Meanwhile, a low-level street gang headed by T-Bird is setting fires in the city. Upon returning to his old apartment, which is now derelict, Eric experiences flashbacks of T-Bird and his gang Tintin, Funboy, and Skank murdering him and Shelly. Eric soon discovers that any wounds he receives heal immediately. Guided by the spirit of the crow, he sets out to avenge his and Shelly's murders by killing the perpetrators. What unfolds from here is a dark, twisted, violent, vengeful, supernatural, anti-hero tale 
that would go on to become a cult classic and lay out the archetype for 90s pop culture for many anti-hero characters that followed in music, films, TV, and even sports. Tragically, Brandon Lee would die during the making of this film when an accident involving a prop gun occurred on set. Alright listeners, that completes this edition of the Monsters Picks. Definitely go and check out both Constrictor by Alice Cooper and The Crow if you not, have not seen them, and even if you have. Maybe a fresh perspective on both works will give you a newfound appreciation of them. Thank you, listeners. This is The Monster's Lair 242. You start to drift off into a comfortable sleep when you hear your name being whispered. You live alone. Alright guys, few quick credits for this episode. First and foremost, rest in peace Tom the Nightmare. I miss that dude every day. I thank him for everything that he contributed to the show and everything that he did for us in season one. I also want to give a shout out, as always, the creator of the logo and the cover art for the podcast, the chief, Alan Bailey. Give a special shout out to our um, musical contributors, especially the guys in Poor Man's Poison for the theme song of the show, Devil's Price. Also want to give a quick shout out to the awesome sound beds, sound effects, and music that Anchor.fm provides for the show. The Monsters Picks segment would not have any music at all if it wasn't for Polly Manners, aka the Bearded Breed, host of the Bearded Breed podcast and frontman for Fresno metal band Metal Messiah. Thanks for the music, man. I use it every episode for my segment, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Also, major shout-out to Mike Morgan, a.k.a. The Mad Thinker on Instagram. That's thinker spelled with the number three in place of the E. You can find him at Mad Thinker on Instagram. And if you're looking for some awesome hip-hop beats, he's willing to provide for a nominal fee, and you get exceptional quality and some badass music to use for whatever purpose you seem fit. As far as research goes for this episode, I want to thank the Reddit, YouTube, and social media communities. Um, I did a lot of the research for this episode based on those sources, so thank you guys for providing the awesome content that you always provide. And last but not least, I definitely want to thank everyone for finding the show, tuning in, and listening to the episodes. I appreciate it so much, guys. Um, This podcasting thing is purely a passion project, and anyone who's willing to support or appreciates what I do here, I'm forever grateful to. So thank you, guys, and we'll catch you on the next episode.